Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette. Got Christopher Palomares on the line. Hello. Hello. Jim Lincoln is lost somewhere in the great Ethernet beyond. We hope he joins us soon. Our special guest tonight is James Wright of YouTube fame. Hello. James, glad you're here. Appreciate you taking your time. Oh, no problem. Glad to be on. Okay. Now, for, you know, I mentioned uh, you've got all your YouTube videos and stuff. Just when <laughs> did you start doing that? Uh, so, we're at June of 2009. Okay. Uh, shortly after a visit from my cousin, because that's how it all started, was just showing him what was going on. Okay. Now, all right. So, you started this back in June of nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many have you done? So far, so uh, I'm currently at around. I don't keep track of it as much as I should, but I think it's around 460 videos. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, um, yeah just started kind of just showing my cousin as I entered. I entered the hobby at the same time as I started videos, so I was showing him what I was doing because um, he came to visit, and then he had to go back to the to Indiana where where I'm from. So, and I was in California. Okay. Uh, and I know on the early ones, you were what? You had your railroad in the garage and you were shooting there? Yeah, there's like a third car garage area. And sure. It was, we set up a six foot by nine foot, just a little unorthodox, not the standard four by eight table. Okay. With some very shoddy carpentry skills and in that uh, process as it had a giant sag in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping it real. First experience with grades, just not the way you want it to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're walking up, uh, uphill from both ends of the train. If you're in the middle. Yeah. Cool. Well, what do you do in real life? Um, active duty, um, air force. Okay. And uh, I run, more specifically, I run my career field for the base I'm at um, because I'm getting up there in age and rank. And uh, so basically my career field is anything and everything that do with survival of the air crew, the pilots and all the people flying, getting out of the aircraft, whether that's encrypted radios or night vision goggles or masks or, you know, different, anything and everything that would help them survive if they had to Exit the aircraft unexpectedly. Okay. So you're in Florida, correct? No, I'm uh, currently in Nebraska. I still have a Florida cell phone number, though. Oh, okay. I move around about every three to four years. Okay. Where in Nebraska? Shoot, that's UP territory. Yep, Omaha, dead center. Wow. Right in the heart of. Yeah. Yep. Been over to UP and have some connections there for some cool tours if anybody's ever through. Okay, well, how far away from Cheyenne where all the steam rebuilds uh, happen are you? So I drove, I've never driven to Cheyenne. I've driven to Denver to ride the Cheyenne Frontiers Days train and back. Yeah. With a UP 844, and I think it was about seven or eight hours, but I think it's almost the same to get to Cheyenne because it's not really that far. Okay. The, it's interesting, but a couple of weeks ago, my wife goes, 
hey, there's a, a transplant opening at such and such a med center in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And she looked over at me and she said, are you interested in case I pursue it? And my eyes must have gotten really, <laughs> really big and I must have been salivating. She said, oh, is that a yes? I said, man, it's where they rebuild the big boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, women just don't understand that. So, no, no, yeah. no. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even, I don't think I'd be in the hobby if it wasn't for my wife in a way because she told my cousin and I about 844 when it was coming through, um, I don't remember, Stockton, California. And so according to my cousin, that's when the bug bit. It wasn't really the layout that did it. It was 844. Because okay. that's immediately what I wanted to model to begin with. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of us have those moments of serendipity or clarity that, you know, spurs us to become interested. And then next thing you know, you spend an inordinate amount of money and time on <laughs> model yeah. railroading. So it, oh, happened. Yeah, it, was, it was divorce, uh, divorce material. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, uh, at the beginning, because it was just an absurd amount of money. But, yeah, but I think that's the way it goes. <laughs> so you're in good company. All right. So do you have a schedule? You try and do one a month uh, or does it just, you know, as the notion strikes you, how do you uh, gauge your uh, schedule? I um my goal is one a week. Every time I get back to that schedule, I get a big cluster of review requests in, and it usually ends up exceeding that and going to sometimes twice a week. Um, but I've kind of studied spacing. I've studied view trends. Okay. And ideally, I like to stay at once a week, and I like to stay on Thursdays. So, for example, tomorrow... Um, and I'm usually recording way ahead of time, but I've fallen behind because the military stuff is getting busy at this time of year. But uh, I usually record way ahead of time, but now I'll be recording tomorrow for a video that goes up on Thursday. So I try once a week on Thursday. Sometimes I end up twice a week. Okay. Let me uh, – I just got a text back from James. He went on up, updated uh, Skype. So let me try him one more time. Okay. I'm right, he I'm right here. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> All right, and everybody, Jim Lincoln is now on board with us. working now though okay good we're getting caught up to date on uh james's uh progression knee deep into the hobby and how he's doing his uh how, how we slipped down the slippery slope of model trains there you go slippery <laughs> right slope. there behind jet car racing as you know cheap hobbies yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey question now when you first started out james what was the criteria of what you were going to show or was there one? No, there was more of a thought process. And that was at the time I could not find any, and I mean a single 
product review on HO scale items period dot on YouTube. Okay. Um, and I just worked with a friend to do car reviews in California and he was kind of like a contractor for CNET, but not really hired on full time. So he kind of provided data for the bigger wigs of CNET for car reviews. And I had rode along with him on test grounds for some car reviews and things like that. And I was like, that was in the back of my mind when I got into model railroading. I said, why is nobody reviewing this stuff on how it is? So I just determined everything I was going to, you know, get uh, for this hobby was going to go online as a review to show people what they're getting. You know, I think one of my first reviews was a Rapido coach and I took it in the dark and showed them the lighting in the dark and just to see what it was. And then kind of a following happened from there. But I, um, I've always been kind of a laid back person. So I wasn't somebody that would, you know, punt a model 50 yards down field because of an issue. And that kind of appealed to folks that, um, you know, I just gave, basically gave them uh, what I was getting, showed them what was going on, nitpicked on a couple items and moved on. And that's that's how I kind of started the reviews. And then the following came shortly after. And then the requests started rolling in and it just kind of grew and snowballed. Okay. Well, I can, you said 2009, I can remember yeah, 2010 in Phoenix, I'd be have the laptop up watching stuff on YouTube as I worked on uh, locomotives or whatever, and I remember seeing some of your early uh, efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, now yeah. you even have a fancy logo. Yeah, now I've kind of upgraded things. I, you know, it's kind of rolled into where um, it's. I try to get get more marketing-ish involved because I got a marketing degree since I started. And, uh, you know, I try to be a little more catchy, but I've never asked for subscribers. I don't say, hey, subscribe. There's not a button to subscribe at the end or anything like that. But I figured, what the heck, let me get something a little catchy since my name is, my YouTube ID is so not catchy. It's my initials and the year I graduated high school and just it's hard to what's the ii huh what's the ii it's the second i'm uh my dad didn't go a junior he went with the second so okay that was um, my guess that was yep. my guess i bet you he's the second yep all right 2.0 <laughs> and i uh, my license plate even says it and the guy at honda the other day was waiting for me to come out and watch my videos i thought that was different because i usually don't run into people just on the street you know right um, but my uh, license plate is JLW02, and he <laughs> caught the he caught the uh, connection and said, "Is that who I think it is?" So, yeah, long before YouTube, even I've been using my initials for different stuff like that. Okay, well, when you go to a show and stuff, do you get people come up and just you know, hey, I like your videos? Well, that's part of the reason I started wearing. I used to wear a YouTube logo shirt because people would circle me and. I didn't know if they were angry about something or they just didn't know if it was me. Yeah. So I started using YouTube shirts. And then when I did the logo, I've actually changed to those shirts. But yeah, we get like in Milwaukee, we had, I don't know, just walk in between walking around. 
probably like a hundred and some folks, me and my cousin counted, it was like 102 or something folks that came up in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, the nationals was pretty slow. I actually was at Athens booth and what's no, his name? No offense, Chris, no offense. Yeah. Uh, Ken Patterson's like, where's the lines? <laughs> it's not. I, it was, it was pretty common among any of the booths at, uh, at Indy. Yeah, we had like 30 folks or so, and I did a meet and greet at one of the train fest vendors last year. I think it was scale trains, and there was like, I had actually stuff to hand out, calendars and and magnets that happened to look like coasters. Um, but they, uh, I handed out 30 and 30 of those, so I met 60 people at the booth at train fest last year, and then 40-something just walking around. Okay. Yeah, one of the questions that you hear and even mentioned in forums when they talk about not only your review program, but other people out there, especially now as you've progressed and you've become so established that the reviews, are you receiving product unsolicited, not that they're giving it to you, but just for you to review and then you return it or whatever? Well, and it gets kind of lost in 400 and some videos, but I've done f at least five videos basically explaining my operation as okay. what it's turned into. Okay. Um, because of all the requests, I will basically submit some of those requests. I rack and stack them based on how I call them hot. There's like a term in the military of something that's hot. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so I have this this Excel sheet with all these different requests. And when I get a request in, I rack and stack it on what's high on the list. And I have a very small operating budget. I've got, I get paid a, from Google enough to cover a few reviews, you know, less than a dozen reviews a year. Um, there's stuff that I buy as a modeler. And then there are, are things that manufacturers provide. Um, sometimes I wouldn't usually say unsolicited. Sometimes I send them a message and say, hey, this is being requested. Can we work together to get this done? And okay. it's a mixed bag from being given to being bought by me to being loaned from time to time. Uh, but my kind of checkmate on myself to make sure it's not turning into this, you know, I'm living in a mansion off of reviews type thing <laughs> where it's become very – you know, very biased is at the end of the year, I balance my books, my income from Google and everything and all the trips that I take for um, like the train shows. I do two train shows a year. That all balances out to where there's no profitability. And even through the IRS with Google, I have to struggle to show a profit so I don't show a loss basically. But there's no, there's no, um, unfortunately, sometimes I say unfortunately, because it'd be nice to have a, an income source uh, from trains like some people do, but there's no, there's no profitability. And I do that to myself. Um, and I always tell people if, if, you know, they're worried about me making profit when I stop going to train shows or stop traveling for videos, then I might actually make a profit. Still nothing to, to shake a stick at versus my household income, but uh, it all gets pumped back into the system, whether I'm buying something uh, from one company that, you know, another company provided, but there's still requests and this other company won't help or buying it and selling it at a loss later or using 
the additional income to tra travel to train shows and cover shows like Brass Expo or Milwaukee Train Fest or the National Show. Um, that's how I keep myself in check. But yes, it's a mixed bag of everything. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, James, you know, we we all in the railroad industry or the model railroad industry, we all work to just be sipping cognac and smoking cigars. <laughs> you know. I don't know where that joke come from. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. Ever since you, you mentioned that to me, I, I, I thought that was – that was the persona we need to attain well, in the it's, modern it's funny. industry. What Chris is alluding to is uh, some of the keyboard warriors out there and in, in uh, different either YouTube land or the forums or Facebook is, you know, everybody thinks there's this huge profit structure with manufacturers to where, you know, the brand managers to the vice presidents, because I notice a lot of vice presidents of marketing and vice presidents of sales and in, in our industry, you know, everybody and their mother is making out like bandits and there's an 800% markup on the models. And, uh, this is according to them in reality, it's just the margins are thin, you know, the wages have gone up overseas. And so I always, I kind of joke with some people that, you know, there's this massive conspiracy that they think is going on. And being government, it's kind of funny, too, because every conspiracy theory I've heard is way more interesting than the actual secret stuff. So <laughs> it's just, uh, I guess, human nature. But um, unfortunately, you know, every I have my uh, people that are upset about, you know, whatever arrangements that occur, even though I've acknowledged that arrangements occur. Uh, and they just, uh, they're never happy with whatever answer you give. Well, sometimes it just is what it is and you got to live with it. <laughs> I can't yep. help it. It's part of the public figure thing, which I understand. Well, everybody feels that, wow, oh, this is a hobby and you should be doing it out of your good goodwill. And, you know, everybody's, you know, independently wealthy and um, uh, no, you know, if yeah. you want me to, do, if you want me to do something for you, which is not something that I may not w want to do. So I may not want to do it myself. I can, but I don't want to. If you want me to do it for you, I'll happily do it for you if you compensate me for my time. Well, you know? and that's the thing. I don't get into, like, there's no money being exchanged at best models. And like I said, there's a, um, and, you know, what I get paid hourly per the Air Force is, is not what I expect out of model trains, nor does it ever equate because, like I said, I spend it all on travel and pump it back into the channel. But people don't understand that it, it, it does take time. And I did do it 100% to get reviews on YouTube the first four years and $50,000 out of my pocket. But when that generated more of an audience and more requests... I had to find a compromise on that end, but I've told manufacturers and I've had manufacturers, I've had them ask me to take videos down. I've had them ask me not to mention things. And I tell them in those instances, I will not do that. I'm not going to take a video down and I'm not going to not mention something that was of concern. So I always tell my viewers, the, the benefit always lies with my viewers. That's my first responsibility. But if I can find a happy medium to get the product reviewed and still 
and let them see what they're getting and work with a manufacturer, so be it. And you'd be surprised. There's only a couple isolated cases, and it only happened one time each with two different companies that said, don't do this. And they learned very quickly that that's not how I operate or take this video down. So I was at a train show one time, and a company said, oh, I saw your review on this model. If I say what model, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I didn't like how you said that. And I was like, well, that's the beauty about me. You don't have to like anything I do. <laughs> I'm not a company. I don't you know, owe you guys anything. I tell you where I stand, how this is going to be done. I mean, they, they relate to me because they know I'm not going to trash a model just to trash it. In this hobby, there's room for Overland models and there's room for Bachman. There's room for model power. It depends on which viewer you have. And when you have almost a 30,000 viewer pool, you're going to have people all over. Some people will be happy with model power. Some people won't accept anything less than Atherin Genesis or Overland models or whatever the case is. So so let me, let me ask you a question, and yeah. you may choose not to answer this, but so the manufacturer in question, mm -hmm. had, they, had they provided you the model to review and then not like the review? Or had, yes. were they just, oh, they had, okay. Not in, the, not in the one where I was approached at a train show, but in one of the instances they had provided the model and did not like the review and asked that it be take down, taken down, and I said no. And and I was perfectly aware that they would not possibly would not want to work with me going forward. But I don't know if it's the military side of me or just the Italian in me, but I get a little feisty when somebody tells me to do something that's not necessarily to my moral standards and I, I don't I just don't take uh, videos down. So wait a minute, oh. you've got Italian and you you were telling me you were French. I'm French, Italian, African American and something out of Pennsylvania that we think is Amish because <laughs> so it's it's pretty crazy. Okay. Yep. No, I I was only asking uh, because not that it makes any difference. You know, it's like, hey, you want the model back? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, you know, but but if they had said, well, we don't like this, and you had bought the you know, bought the model with your own money, and it's like, well, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's and, and it's, it's too bad for me either way. Um, I have, there's been times where there's been X amount of schemes of items. So one item like an SD70 ACE or, a, you know, anything, an F unit might come out in several schemes. The company may pro provide what they can and then I go buy the other schemes to demonstrate the models. So then it's really a mixed bag per review. But, you know, uh, for example, the Broadway Limited... Uh, what's it called? I think it's the L, L1. It's the Chesapeake in Ohio, number 490. It's in the Chesapeake in Ohio Museum. And, yeah. The... Uh, I went and saw that a couple years ago, and uh, it's a, already sold out, so I reserved one through Train World, and I bought a whole bunch of cars to do, do the review with it. I mean, I've dropped a 1000 bucks on one review before. Um, some of the, uh, what was it, the Atherin P42s, a lot mm -hmm. of the schemes um, that they had for all the Amtrak Heritage units I bought uh, in DC and then added DCC and sound, you know, to to do the review on, you know. And so review, like each review can be upwards of $1,000. So I have no problem with if one review is free and another one costs $1,000 or whatever. But when I balance my books at the end, I try not to get into my personal budget too much 
sure. with the exception of like personal items that I like. Building my layout last year definitely got into my personal budget, uh, things like that. But that's the only happy medium I can find. The alternative is I just don't review those items. And a lot of times they never get reviewed. Like I reviewed a, uh, it was a Broadway limited item a few months ago. I looked back and it had never been reviewed and it had been re-released like three times. Um, and so it's like, okay, no information out there for reviewers or do some sort of compromise while still holding your moral ground on your, what you will do on reviews. So now if I was a complete rivet counter, it probably wouldn't go as well, but that's just not my personality and never was to begin with. Okay. Well, now you just, you mentioned an interesting thing because you went out and bought the, uh, CNO Hudson for the, uh, you know, stillborn Chessie, you bought their cars. And how big is your model railroad now? My layout is 20 foot by 20 foot L-shaped. Okay, so you've got a lot of main, mainline room, yard space. I was, it just occurred to me, I thought, I wonder what he does with all these trains, because, you know, you'd mentioned that your first railroad there in the, uh, third garage stall was kind of small. So you have progressed admirably. I'm envious. Yeah. I've progressed in yard space and in shelf space. I keep having to buy these mobile shelves to hold all this stuff. And at times it becomes too much. And I do, I'll throw stuff on, you know, a Facebook group or eBay on occasion just to get it out of my basement. Like this time of the year, I focus on G scale sometimes and sets and those things will clog up my basement so fast. Well, it's my utility room is where I operate out of, but they'll clog up my utility room so fast. I just, like right now, one of my paths is completely blocked because of a G-scale set I'm reviewing and a couple Christmas sets I'm reviewing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a mixture of keeping it, and sometimes I sell it off. And like I said, all that um, goes into a pool that I track on what's getting you know, what's coming in and what I can spend on trips. Like next summer, as long as the military doesn't inter interfere, I plan on going to Florida to the National Train Show and I'll drive and pick up a camera person and buy the camera person's food and pay, for, which is usually a family member, by the way, pay for their their hotel, you know, which is usually just a double room with me, uh, food, you know, gas and all the all the stuff that goes with that. Where's and it going to be in Florida? Orlando. Oh, okay. So, I mean, even uh, one last year I went to Milwaukee and I picked up my cousin from Indiana, brought him to Omaha, brought him back. That was a th over a thousand bucks just to go to Milwaukee, which is seven hours away because of going to pick up camera people. I try to use a local guy uh, that I <laughs> also watches my videos. I happen to run into at work in our, in our same Air, Air Force squadron. Uh, I try to use him for videos sometimes, but there's expenses people don't see, like my camera is a $1,500 camera. Did it need to be a $1,500 camera? No, but here we are three years after I bought it, and it's still going strong and has a real clear picture. Um, you know, just stuff like that that's expenses that, you know, in a perfect world uh, to some of the keyboard warriors would be completely funded by me and all the reviews and still get all the information and you know, manage a Facebook page and respond to people's questions about building layouts because a lot of my views come from how to build a layout too, even though that was a, a very rough <laughs> learning session for me. It wasn't the most 
Uh, wasn't an MRH quality item, that's for sure. Well, how's this layout coming along? Well, this layout's got, um, I still need to get the roundhouse stall tracks down and wired. I still need to work on scenery. There's a scene, I've got a bridge scene all completed. I've got a fall scene completed, and I've got a kind of a car shop scene completed. And now my next step is to work on the left of the bridge scene and make a dirt road railroad crossing and backdrop and just have another scene because at the end of most of my reviews I do a run by and I think people get tired of seeing a train run over the bridge or behind the car shop or uh, I usually just put the fall scene up because there's a a big backdrop that kind of blocks part of my layout I put that up in fall but those three scenes I think uh, bore people after a while so I'm wanting to add a fourth scene and then finish the roundhouse stall tracks. Well, what's your favorite scene that, that you got so far? Or what I should ask is, what was the one that, that ended up turning out better than you might have thought? Oh, definitely the bridge scene. If you look at my previous layout, it's like a an eight-year-old on crack did it. But uh, the the bridge scene turned out surprisingly well. I did some research on what to use for water. I ended up going with realistic water from uh, Unreal Details. And then I tinted the water and then also painted the base. And it was just kind of a perfect accident that the the water turned out nice. Um, A little too still, but um, the the bridges came out perfectly even. The scenery around it, I tried to match with the backdrop. The backdrop was a photo backdrop. So that's the most photogenic scene I have, I think. Uh, Other people like my fall scene as well because it's got working crossing gates. And also a fall uh, backdrop, but that was much simpler. It was simply a grade crossing and some fall foliage foam from um, Scenic Express and then the backdrop, and that was all there was to that. Have you ever done a feature on your railroad just to show everybody, especially now that you're in Nebraska, to show what you're doing? Uh, Yeah, the first, uh, I did two different How to Build a Layout series, one when I first got to Nebraska and one when I got into this basement and some of the lessons I learned from the first one. And then every once in a while, I'll do a video saying, here's the layout and here's what I've done with it. Um, But sometimes I don't label it as layout tour or things like that, uh, especially since it's been in the utility room because it's not quite finished. I like to get to a finished state with my layout usually because the move is, is you know, always in the back of my mind that I'm going to have to uproot, so I want to get it. It's not always about taking time with me because I want to rapidly get it running so I enjoy it for longer. Um, but some of those scenery details end up dragging out. Like I've had this layout up since, you know, probably March of 2015. So we're at like a year and a half, and I haven't finished these last few scenes. Well, but that's a big footprint that you described, so the fact that you don't have it all done is understandable. Oh, yeah. I just I went so quickly. I was using that uh, flex track from, um, it's like a company in Missouri, Microengineering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd read that all the big, you know, all the experts in the hobby suggested that track, and it is, it's nice, it's already pre-weathered, but, boy, it, it was a beast to get it laid down and my fingers were bleeding uh from getting this track laid down it kept popping out of the the rail um the rail spikes and things on the pre-molded uh concrete ties and 
it was a lot of work. Um, so I, I did, I got a lot done quickly. I just need to finish up. <laughs> yeah, there's a knack to microengineering, even to Code 83. And it's, I have pre-bent it using uh, fast tracks fixtures that I already had when I was doing uh, uh, hand laying. And even then, it's like you say, you still got to massage it and kind of ooch it along. And no, it's, it's very time intensive. But even with that, it still takes, there's a process to do it and how to reposition the ties because they move and they can actually, depending on what you're doing, bind and work against you. So it's just, you know, it's a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. So I totally understand what you're saying, James. It's, uh, it's good stuff, but it does, it has its own process. Hey James, you, yeah. just to when you go over to Ken Patterson's place, ask him to show you the lighter trick. Oh, okay. And, uh, and it, it'll, it makes it it's, it makes the whole process of of laying microengineering stinking easy. And basically, yeah. what he does is he he heats up uh, one of the rails with the lighter, and that kind of softens everything up, so you can bend it a whole lot easier. I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, I didn't have much problem bending because I had the concrete ties. I think the, uh, well, the, I hear the wooden ties, or they lose their shape very easily, so you've really got to keep it perfect. It won't sit in a position. The concrete ties were a little better, but I just had problems with it popping out on on curves. Um, mm-hmm. And my curves weren't even that tight. They were like 30 inches, you know, 32-inch curves. And um, I was still having a whole heck of a lot of problems with with uh, riv- um, I keep saying rivets, uh, rail spikes popping out or popping out of the rail spikes. It's just one yeah. of the crosses we have to bear in model railroading. Yeah, yeah. I add it to my whole pile of crosses because the YouTube <laughs> thing, YouTube thing brings a whole bunch of them with it. So you get all your your uh, your viewers projects as well through the youtube <laughs> site you know yeah yeah the um the viewers are good though they they ask questions my wife always asks me how much time i spend i'm like you know answering viewer questions and responding to emails i don't even want to pay attention because it's a lot it probably rivals my day job but they <laughs> um you know they they're asking me usually because some people won't take the time to respond and uh, my kind of goals with YouTube is I like the videos. I think I'm creating a – I feel like I, I want to create a library of almost every product that's getting released so people can at least see it in operation and, um, you know, see if there are any – if I'm mentioning any negatives, it's it's a negative I noticed, and I'm not that uptight of a guy, which means it's probably a fairly evident negative. Um, so they get the pros and the cons – um, and they get to see the thing in operation, which, you know, still photos or, or um, you know, anything in any sort of print media can't really cover. Um, but they, uh, they keep me going because, you know, out of all, out of, like I said, almost 30,000 people, I've got 10 or 12 that are just, they don't understand, they can't be pleased or they don't like what I'm doing. 
And uh, since it's election season, I'm sure Trump or Hillary would be happy with that percentage of a 99.5% approval rating. Oh, yeah. uh, but, but uh, you know, sometimes those 10 or 12 can kind of get on your nerves or bring you down. or And sometimes they're actually constructive criticism, like the poll test I do, the weight I do, um, the Katie Coupler height gauge I do was all suggestions. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of people said, well, you know, if you do these things, the, you know, those things are X factors that nobody can control. So, you know, that uh, doing those items would be more beneficial to the viewer. And that would be very evident that the manufacturer has no control over the process. But then I got like a couple guys saying, well, the manufacturers could check the items before they left. Well, Got, you know, like I told them, there's, I got news for you, Intermountain checks every locomotive before it leaves. Does that mean that, you know, everybody's getting a a product? You know, it's it's very tough with reviews because if the postman has a bad day and a manufacturer went through a very tedious process, and I've got to know, got to have known a lot of these manufacturers and the amount of work they put into this to get an item you know, somewhat perfect. And then the post office guy has a bad day or, you know, the ship from overseas hits tough waters or whatever makes a piece break off. That's the end of the world for some people. It's, it's somehow, it's sometimes disheartening to some of the people that are behind the manufacturing in the hobby, uh, just from all the negative negativity. So I just try to be objective and show them what's going on and they keep me going because, Honestly, uh, uh, without that, that many viewers or any viewers, uh, you know, I just kind of be leisurely going at my hobby at my own pace and I probably wouldn't be pushed to go as far as I have. Well, it's also nice, you know, speaking as a modeler to kind of know what we're getting into. If we're going to get this freight car locomotive having, having like some sort of sense that, Hey, this these may not be completely engaged, you know, it kind of gives you an idea of what, what, what materials you, you might need to kind of successfully execute the, you know, whatever it may be. So it runs nicely on the layout. Yep. Yeah. There's, and there's, um, I've also added different types of reviews. So if I'm in a hurry, I do what's called an overview, which means you're just getting a look at the model. I'm probably going to skip all the tests and I'll move on. Um, if I have a lot of time on my hands or the item is just super complex or they don't know what to expect, I go through everything, you know, and I still miss stuff. Um, the scale trains, big blow turbine, that review was 30 minutes and I spent over four hours recording it. And at the end of the review, I had found a couple items to nitpick on and then, People were blowing up my video uh, to 1080p and full screen, and they were finding little problems with this or little problems with that, or, oh, this is crooked, or that's not on, or that's not the right thickness. And, you know, they're asking me why I can't, why I didn't catch it all. And I'm like, well, first of all, I spent an ungodly amount of time on this. And second of all, if I was, you know, that's the purpose of having that super crystal clear video. So if you want to find whatever you're looking for, you can go find it because you're getting a 360-degree angle. And if you're really worried about, you know, a, a riveted plate on the nose not being the correct thickness, then you can go look at it. So, 
with uh, the advent of Netflix or not Netflix, um, Chromecast and all these smart TV bo- smart TVs and boxes, you can blow that thing up to 1080p on a 60, 70 inch big screen if you want to. So and pretty easily. Your your reviews are great on the TV, by the way, just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I like uh I use it myself to watch YouTube. It's one button on my laptop or my phone and the videos on TV and uh you can just watch it like a TV show for whatever like I watch a couple daily vlogs on YouTube and I've got a couple people I follow and I just cast it onto the TV and it's good to go. So so what's next for your reviews and coming up for uh, the, the rest of the year. What, you got anything else scheduled? Yeah, I've got um, several items, several HOSCO items. And then towards Christmas, I try to focus on sets, Christmas sets a little bit. Um, and then next year or late this year, I'm running into a problem with the upload format, but I'm going to do one of the first um, videos in 4K, which is ultra high definition. Um, I've already got got the ability to do it. I'm just running into problems with test uploads. So the files are so large that the video has to be extremely concise. So whatever model I pick for this, it's going to end up being, you know, a quick run by or a very slow run by, I should say, but a very short video of like one to two minutes. Um, and then I'm going to test and see if anybody's really watching it in 4K on their televisions because uh, 4K televisions have been around for a little while now. And uh, if the response is good, I'll try to continue, but they're going to have to stay short because the rendering process, the upload process is just tedious for those large files. And it takes a special type of software just to handle it versus the simplistic software I use for my day-to-day reviews. Yeah, truly, a, a 4K video of just like a model on a turntable or mm-hmm. just, you know, just some sort of lazy Susan so you can just turn it around. And at that resolution on your TV, you could really pull apart things and, and see what, what's going on as if you were just looking at it yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the um, I've got a little gray. I painted it gray so it didn't uh, didn't have white balance thrown off. And that was a viewer suggestion, uh, but I've got a turntable again. Another viewer suggestion to you know get things spun around in one shot, a 360 view, because not, not most of my viewers, minus those 10 or 12 um, people that are kind of keyboard warriors, they understand that a I haven't been in the hobby that long. B a lot of the time I have spent in the hobby has been dedicated to these videos, where I would have spent more time knowing. And learning and growing, they, I have to spend time responding to emails and creating videos and things like that. So they just want to see it so they can pick it apart to their level of discontent. <laughs> so does YouTube already have the capability for 4K? Yeah, they've got... Uh, there's also kind of an in-between 1080p and 4K. It's 1080p 60 frames per second too. Yeah, yeah. But it's really not needed in model trains much from the research I've done on it, but... Yeah, they've got all the way up to 4K. They've got 1080p, 60, regular 1080p, 720, all the way down. 
you know, the, the challenge is uploading large, large files um, and then editing large, large files. My biggest challenge is just editing um, because it's very, very slow. Even though I've got a, a pretty fast laptop, it's, it's a slow process. So, Yeah, 4K will bring down any computer to their knees right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yep, but, uh, you know, like I said, my viewer base keeps me trying to improve on on the videos and, and make them better. My my passion is still with model railroading. That's kind of the engine. But, uh, you know, the viewers are, are the fuel slash the, their suggestions, their cons- constructive criticism and things like that help me improve. Yeah, that's the momentum you need to kind of keep going. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time where I got criticized for not knowing every part on locomotives and I got tired of it eventually. And I started busting out the exploded parts diagrams or Googling different locomotives to break down the parts, to just rattle off some parts just to shut those people up. Um, But eventually what you do is you narrow the pool of critics down and down and down until it is, you know, a 99% uh, rate of people being happy or whatever. And I've, I've had to win people over by calling them. I had one guy that, you know, he wanted to bring his biker gang and get physical at the Cleveland national train show. And I had to call him up and say, <laughs> Dude, you need to you need to take a breather, man. This is model trains, but we traded, uh, we traded a couple threats and then both calmed down. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insane at what levels these things happen sometimes. So jealousy can get out of hand. Um, you know, one of my biggest critics, you know, I found out through back channels has attempted to do what I've done with no success. And that's why I think he, you know, this individual is a, a large critic of mine because he was not, you know, he's kind of late to the ball game or whatever, but, um, sometimes it's just jealousy. Sometimes it's genuine concern, which I, I can work with, or sometimes it's just, uh, you know, just unreasonable expectations. It's like, you know, the same people that say that a hundred dollar locomotive should have absolutely nothing wrong with it and should run for 50 years without any problems. They should have been around in the sixties when they were $8 locomotives guaranteed to last at least eight hours. And that's not the, that's not the perspective. A lot of people come from, you know, ready to roll uh, things like the Genesis lines and the more detailed lines are, a great thing to spoil people, but you know, it's like, um, it's, it's their baseline, which makes their demands a lot higher from what, you know, was available. Cause right when I was getting into the hobby, there's a Sacramento train store called Bruce's trains and they still had a lot of blue box stuff, a lot of stuff you had to put together. And, uh, I took one look at that stuff and I went for the aisle where it was Genesis and ready to roll. It's like, I got to put all this together. Like this stuff over here is already made for, you know, yeah, it's four (laughs) times more, but. Yeah. So what's your time worth? What is your time worth? Yeah. But there, I think there's a lost craft and people that did grow up with uh, having to assemble locomotives and rolling stock or, you know, put parts together, put things together. And now it's, like a demand not to. And I've bought kits and I'm not very good at it, but I've put together some kits, but you know, it's, it's enjoyable to do. Um, but some people, 
they demand this perfection that's impossible because one of my biggest things I tell my viewers who are always demanding perfection is there's too many hands in the pot. You've got the design team, the factory workers, the um, shipment of the product. Once the product gets to the U.S., the shipment to your door, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of who is actually involved. There's a lot more in between. You know, there's dozens if not hundreds of people involved in this process from let's create this model to it's showing up at your door and um, like I said everything could go right all the way down to the UPS guy who decides to drop kick your package from the you know five steps away from your front porch and you know now everybody's name's in the mud because somebody's you know not doesn't have real expectations we've got Electronics that if go bad, we get returned. I just returned a computer router to Target the other day. I didn't have, I didn't go online and bash the manufacturer or, you know, or uh, stomp on it up and down in front of the clerk at Target. I just returned it and got a different one and went around my business. But for some reason, I think it's the HO scale modeling and the anal retentiveness involved. Sometimes people get to where they don't even want to return a product for a, or a different product. Um, but some of the criticism goes above and beyond what's what I consider normal. <laughs> and I am a little laid back, but um, you know, I consider myself middle of the road on expectations of a model. Well, and then, yeah, you've put it in the context that this is not life and death. Right. This is a, at the end of the day, it's a make-believe hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, these are not real locomotives and cars, this is all pretend, you know, so if I've got, you know, a certain road name going through the desert and by golly, they never went out there. Hey, you know what the heck? It's my railroad, my house, and yes, they do in my mind. So, but there, you're right, James, there are people that lose that perspective. Yeah, and there's, I did a review with a modeler that's, also a very good reviewer on YouTube that just lives about 20 minutes down the road from me. And he said, you know, from the time you pull it out of the box, it's not an accurate model. It's got, uh, it picks up power from the track. Real, yeah, yeah, yeah. real, real locomotives don't do that. <laughs> um, it's not internal combustion. <laughs> and yeah. So I still think it's a small portion of the, the weight of scale models that, do this, but they speak louder than some of the general population. What are you saying, Jim? I said the weight doesn't scale out either. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, and the sound doesn't scale out. Yeah. I thought about that one time. I was just kind of daydreaming and I was like, how cool would it to shrink real life, you know, have the honey I shrunk the kids machine shrink real life down, but you know, and uh several thousand pound item divided by 87 is still going to be super heavy. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's going to be a yeah. lot of mass and a little space and isn't going to work out so well. It's probably going to go through your layout and on the floor. And through the floor and, and through the floor. The basement. <laughs> well, the other thing is, is, you know, you're getting into diesel, you know, the molecules, mm -hmm. the, the, the size of the physical molecular size of diesel fuel probably wouldn't go through a mm -hmm. HO scale diesel engine. Yeah. 
it would, it, you know, literally, you couldn't get it through. It'd be so small. The lines would be so small. It's well, like, that's that's the next industry, Jim. Would be uh, HO scale diesel, right? Yeah, let's get right on that. Yeah, Chris, the, uh, Chris, yeah, you, Chris, forget the fifty three forty four bomb. <laughs> get, get on, get on to the HO scale diesel. You'll make millions, millions, and we're going to need a V twenty to go with it in HO scale. Yeah. So. And well, all this time, Steve. mothers were afraid of their kids sniffing glue. You yeah, know? there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the live steam stuff's pretty cool, though. It's uh, it's pretty neat how it works. And they've gotten it down to, I think, I've seen, I don't know if it was HO or it might have just been O, but I've seen some pretty cool live steam models. But, you know, that's just a whole nother, another uh, branch of the hobby. But, uh, you know, what the... What most companies do is they've got to have some sort of balance between profitability and and what they can produce. And sometimes I don't know how they they sometimes they take a beating on things they do wrong. And sometimes my videos spawn the beatings on things that they've done, you know, missed or didn't do a certain way because of cost or whatever. But uh, it's um, it's kind of it's kind of a miracle in a box in most cases, I think, with when you consider all the hands involved in the process. Well, you know, as a manufacturer, um, it, it's really easy to to be on the receiving side of criticism, and the the biggest return that that I think a lot of modelers don't realize is well. Where was the hobby when you didn't have this? I mean, were you buying brass? Were you making it yourself? Well, how, how did you enjoy your model train hobby without this item that didn't exist? I mean, okay, so you need to paint the sides of, you know, the, the handrails white or whatever. I mean, the, the, in terms of perspective, you know, well, you could build it yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I yeah, think the... this has been talked about, I think, by uh, oh, Tony Custer. And the comment has been made is that it's a kind of a paradigm shift where people are building layouts instead of building models. So it, it allows people to do different things in the hobby if they're so inclined. Yeah. Um, you know, some people like to build models. Other people want to build a layout. You know, they they want to run their trains and they don't want to spend all their time, you know, building them. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, realistically though, the the manufacturer gets it to, depending on what level you're buying. If you're buying the cheap stuff, it needs a lot of work. I get that. But if you're buying the more expensive stuff, the manufacturer gets it to ninety seven or ninety eight percent. And I'm not the best modeler in the world, but I've put on. Air hoses, MU hoses, antennas, uh, tinted windows, done the, the one or two percent you need to do to, you know, get the model where you want it. Um, I do understand when it reaches a certain price point, and it's different for everybody, like $300 to Paul Gillette, Christopher Palomares, and James Lincoln, maybe a little bit of money to poor James Wright. Uh, where three hundred dollars is a lot of money, and that three that three hundred dollar price point um, to one person is like okay, well I accept that these things are wrong, and the other person's like oh man, I just spent an entire two paychecks, and you know this is wrong, and this is the end of the world. So there's just all those different perspectives 
Um, I learned in college about lenses. People look through different lenses. Their perspective is different based on all these psychological factors. And, you know, it's just, or the sim to make it more simpler, the old saying that opinions are like buttholes. <laughs> everybody has one and everybody <laughs> thinks they'll stink or whatever. So, <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me write that down. I want to remember that. <laughs> I don't know if I got it right. If it's opinions are like buttholes. Everyone has one and everybody thinks everybody else's is the only one that stinks or something like that. That you sounds to about right, too. Yeah. I, I, I think it could kind of transpose either way there, James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a philosopher tonight very well. Not doing a good job at that. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I've I've personally come to the conclusion that once the audience is wide, that's where I do relate to a lot of manufacturers because now you've got this huge group of people. Some of them are critics. The, the one key difference, though, is which they learn very quickly is sometimes I bite their heads off where the manufacturers can't. <laughs> so, you know, the manufacturers have to be kind of professional in their responses, and I can just chew somebody out. There's a lot of there's a lot of forum traffic where I've chewed people out. <laughs> <laughs> you said all the things that you know maybe manufacturers have kind of thought. Wish them. <laughs> and a lot of modelers too i'll get private messages like oh, i'm glad you finally told that guy to you know whatever because we're getting tired of him or you know but it's uh i don't know my one of my first experiences with the hobby within just a couple months was just this guy that was all over youtube bashing everybody and anybody that they could and i made a stand and said hey i'm not putting up with this stuff and may or may not have gotten his phone number through a couple contacts I have and called him up and said, uh, Hey, I'm not going to put up with this stuff. Like you're, you might be bullying 12 year olds and stuff, but that's not me. And you need to knock it off because it's not helping the hobby at all to criticize the heck out of somebody. So I think uh, it requires almost a thick skin that uh, both the manufacturers have and the mo a new modeler has because sometimes they just, especially if they're putting their stuff on YouTube or anything, they catch a whole heck of a lot of criticism. Yeah. So. Well, and you probably do too, Chris, don't you? I would imagine as product uh, manager going to shows, you probably get people who want to vent. Well, you know, honestly, I think online sort of spawns more negativity than, than does face to face uh, sort of meeting I up. I, I'm not sure if it's it's negativity or bravery. Good yeah. point. Good point. It's because now they feel separate. You can't see them. You can't. You know they can't see the look in your face. They can just go ha 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 ha. You know, I'll I'll show him. Whereas they wouldn't even think of doing it to your face. Well, you know, th th there's been that, but you know. I've also seen the a whole lot of just whirlwind activity. Oh, the, 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 those things on the side of that box car should should be rivets, not not welds. And there's this whole ordeal, like 30, 40, 50 posts, and then someone posts a picture of it with the welds, and then you know, oh, it, they were actually right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you hear crickets. <laughs> 
And you look at the person who who started the uproar. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is there's never a, I apologize. It's always just they stop posting on that thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where's stage left? Where's your clever answer now, Mister Smarty Pants? I even I even uh, for a short while I should probably go back to it was have just a segment in my review where I do put on the glasses of somebody that's being very, very nitpicky. And I mentioned a few things, um, you know, I called it nitpicky Nate, but nobody really, it wasn't received well. People said it was not a big deal. I had like one or two people that wanted it versus, and it just kind of made the reviews longer, but, um, I don't know. Criticism in general, as long as it's constructive, I can deal with that. But if it's, if I can't get anywhere with anybody and an opinion, and it's like, uh, I had one guy, the only reason he thought X, Y, and Z was about me was because his friend had told him. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay, so your friend's telling you about this guy on the internet that you don't know from Adam, and that's why you believe it? So uh, that was the same guy that, uh, you know, he was threatening to bring his biker gang up to Cleveland. Jiminy Christmas. But what was funny about that is, you know, it quickly escalated, and I was just being kind of funny, but but actually honest at the same point. Again, another thing a manufacturer could never do was, I said, is it a magical bullet-stopping biker gang? And he said, what? I said, is it a magical bullet-stopping biker gang? He said, no, why? What are you talking about? I said, oh, I'm state of Ohio, Cleveland. I said, I'm, you know, I concealed carry anywhere I can um, for multiple reasons. One of them is this like leak of information from several years ago with military personnel lists on it. But uh, I said, so if I have a bunch of biker dudes coming at me, then it better be a magical bullet stopping one. And he's like, man, you're getting out of control. I'm like, I'm getting out of control. You're the one talking about coming up here with a biker gang. <laughs> so, But the reality is, you know, he brings this biker gang over to like work you over. Yeah. He, he, they, they realize this biker gang, that it's over model trains. Yeah. Says, You're going to tell me that they're going to seriously look at you and like try to work you over? No, I, I think they're going to laugh about the whole thing and take you out sort of like over to the closest biker gar- biker bar. And you're going to have to dance on the on the table like Pee Wee Herman did in Greatest Adventure. Oh, yeah. they. I, I took the whole thing as a joke in general, and that's how I was kind of responding to it. But... It was just it was an example of things getting way out of control over you know, this is supposed to be an escape from our daily lives. I yeah. deal with I deal with nonsense at my workplace and I deal with angry people at my workplace. There's you know, sixty seven people that work for me and there's no way to keep all of them happy. You know, just twenty minutes before we came onto this podcast I was telling one of the guys, you know, that he needed to calm down and he was upset with me that I brought up some criticisms that were brought to my attention. And, you know, I, I don't mind dealing with that at work because at the end of a two week period, I get a paycheck for that. And there's only a limited amount of time I spend. So the, um, the whole thing is, uh, to go to your hobby and have to deal with that. It gets a little rough at times, but I've found a way to adapt. Sorry, I got to Say goodnight to my boys. Night, boys. <laughs> Are you picking up that alarm? Yep. Okay, hold on a second. Let me mute my microphone. Okay, it's a, it's done now. 
they went in they went into my train room which is a basically a vault of its own i've got an, an alarm on the door and everything cuz we have kids <laughs> over sometimes an alarm on the door thinking i was there Oh yeah, my train room is the most secure room in the house. It's got people think it's detector. an arsenal. Yeah, it's <laughs> got a motion detector. It's got a glass break sensor. It's got its own independent door alarm, and then it's got a door sensor that's tied into my house alarm. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I I was thinking it's like, dude, you're coming with a biker gang to work me over. You do realize I'm I'm in the military and I have access to M60s, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. You know, I just, you, you, you know, it's like you're getting a little over. I says yes, but I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't really think you'd want to do that, particularly over <laughs> trains. All I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. You know. Yeah. It was. Like, it was immediately after that whole thing when he was like, "Was just getting out of hand." Like you think that. I explained to him everything that I just explained to you gentlemen tonight about how the process works and he was good with it. And from then on, he's, you know, he kind of disappeared and he doesn't comment or anything, but he's, he's was happy with the answer. I don't know if his friend talked him back into being disgruntled, but he was, uh, at the time he was happy with how I explained it. And I told him, you know, like I told you guys, it's either I don't produce these item videos for some of these items and people never get to see them. Or they don't see them the way I present them, or you know, it's it's presented and shown as whatever's going on. So, yeah, most people, like I said, they get a really high. Uh, most people are happy with with the product, and I try to just take the criticisms, find anything that I can improve on, and go that way. But the 4K thing was my idea by myself. I didn't get any suggestions for that. That sounds <laughs> you really neat. You yeah. got to give credit where credit's due on that. Yep. To myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got to be, uh, it's got to come to fruition before I get too happy about it because uh, when this podcast goes live, I'm sure somebody's going to jump into a 4K video first. <laughs> yeah, could, be. could yeah. be. I'll give you a heads up before we upload it. Yeah. Oh, it'll, it'll be, uh, it won't be until next year until I get around to that anyway because the software problems I'm running into, but that's okay. If somebody else wants to do it, that's fine. <laughs> well, maybe they'll uh, show you some shortcuts along the way. Well, that's a, that's another funny point you bring up or that kind of just came up. You know, people sometimes will message me and ask me if they can do a review on an item. Are you going to do a review on this? Cause I've got this and I'm like, do the review. The more different uh, aspects there are or different reviewers there are, you know, the ones that are reliable will kind of rise to the top and, and subscribers and numbers, the ones that people like the best. And, um, you know, those will be different opinions. And if you can get one item reviewed by three different people, more power uh, to the process because that's more perspectives. Because we do have people out there that are shorter, more concise than me, like TSG Multimedia is, you know, four or five minute videos and some of their their angles and stuff are way more, uh, way more, I guess, up close than mine are. Um, and then you've got uh, a couple other guys that do reviews and are maybe a little more picky, uh, or they bring 20 or 30 years of hobby experience to the review. So I don't think it hurts anything to have multiple reviews on an item. 
I agree. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Yep. So, and, and it, you know, sometimes I've heard from manufacturers that it helps them improve on their product the next year or whatever. Or if I really get my ear blown up about something in particular, I sometimes pass it on to the manufacturer. Like, I'm really catching a lot of comments that you guys should do this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually in my train show interactions because I'm just telling them how, you know, their product's being received and they... They improve upon it or change it. There's been a couple runs that have been initiated off videos getting high views and things like that. So I think it's it uh, pumps positivity in the hobby. Um, and uh, I think it also, maybe I'm a little biased towards the review process and the videos, but I also think that it's like at the forefront of getting young kids in the hobby because YouTube is where they're camped out at all the time. Um, well, you know, like I say, I mean, a lot of the the generation there's a generation gap in model railroading but the, a lot many aren't even aware of it and partially because they can't see the younger generation from their basement you know yeah. you got to be where they're at and youtube is where they're at along with a, a number of other uh, social media sites and they they hang out with other younger generation modelers and enthusiasts as well so they're yeah. out there and there's a lot of them you know yeah, the how to like the how to build a layout series. You know, I didn't know my right hand from my left hand when I was doing the first series, but my point of doing it was saying, "Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to do some internet research and get this video uh, series together." And there were there's like two million views on that series, or a million, like almost two million views because nobody had taken the time. It should have come from an expert. It should have have come from, you know, you see uh, um, articles in MR or MRH or Model Railroad News and things like that about little facets of it, but building a whole layout, the only thing I could find on YouTube was like a Bachman Easy Track layout that was built by Michael Gross on uh, World's Greatest Hobby. And so I said, well, what if somebody wants to use FlexTrack or do anything a little more complex? And you'd be surprised yeah. how many people that just wasn't out there because nobody had taken the time. But in a perfect well, maybe they just didn't realize how to do it. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a lot of information kind of I, I'd say kept off YouTube not by choice. It's just not knowing how. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, but what James did, he took it as a, I'll use the word novice. So it's not like me watching Norm Abrams on, uh, you know, PBS on, uh, what was that, New Yankee Workshop or whatever his show was, and where he's got, you know, $200,000 worth of saws and 50 years of experience there. James did what we all did. He just waded into it, and it's relatable. Mm-hmm. It is oh, absolutely yeah, definitely. relatable. So, no, I think... Your approach was excellent. You know, if you're an experienced modeler watching it, there's some cringeworthy moments, though, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but we all start walking before we, you know, start running hundred yard dashes. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, you know, that was my goal in the second series was to improve on some of the mistakes from the first series, and um, and the people that were still following along could go learn that because a lot of people have. You know, people like my cousin, they plan to build this big layout, but it never happens or, you know, so they 
you know, they save save the videos into a playlist or a disc, and for later when they actually get or get to a building. Well, you know, sometimes just starting a layout is scary because yeah. there's just an a, an investment in time and materials, and you know, there's new machinery. It's not everybody's like familiar with with some of the power tools that are required to do it. So. Well, to do it right. Yeah, to do it right. Well, my my background is my parents and, and, uh, you know, family in general didn't take any time to show me some things that you, you know, a lot of people grow up with. You know, some people grow up with basic carpentry skills or, heck, I didn't even know how to drive a manual vehicle until my first deployment to the Middle East. And it was like, you got to learn this in two days. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so I had, it was completely going in dark and it scared the crap out of me, but having yeah. the videos actually kind of helped me have the courage to kind of do it. The response, oh, yeah. to, the response to that is no problem, sir. How many clutches yeah. do you oh, have? Drop the, yeah, <laughs> drop the transmission or bring yeah. up the clutch. Uh-huh. But yeah, the, uh, the videos. Now I did get a little bit of a pass because I skipped a bench work in both of them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just said, Hey, there's too many variations of bench work was kind of my excuse. And I just went from there, but, um, you know, there's still, I've got so much to learn. You know, I still shock people with some things I don't know. Like you don't know. What was it the other day? Uh, JMRI, JMRI programming. You haven't programmed a JMRI? Nope. Not yet. So I've been programming or, you know, DCC for years. I've used it one time. I just prefer to do it, learn the CVs, and just do it manually on a program track. But, you know, teach your son. Yeah, the the first railroad. That's okay, Paul. We all accept the fact that you're just bizarre. But that's okay. There you go. That's okay. There you go. I'm into pain, into pain. The uh, first railroad, when we had our first house with a basement, I bought a bunch of uh, furring strips. And I was nailing the corners together. My dad was out visiting, and he goes, what are you going to put on this? And I said, it's going to be my model railroad. And he said, I think we need to rethink the furring strips and maybe move up to uh, ripped plywood. And maybe, do you know what a screw is? (laughs) Why, is that better than nailing the corners together? And he goes, yes, I think. So, you know, we all do make goofy mistakes, and then we learn. Yep. And, and, and then there's the crutch that Paul likes to do is just like have instant bench work made for you and you pull a rip cord and it all there just falls go. together in your room. There <laughs> you go. Model railroad framework in well, Florida. Well, when yes. I first did this layout, I was talking to a company called Cam Connect, but they couldn't produce in a timely manner what I needed them to produce. Uh-huh. And the cost kept going up and up. Um, but you know that was basically ready-made, ready, yeah, ready-made bench work that you just pull out and put the legs on. Yeah, snap together. Yeah, I just drove uh, clegg screws on this. I told my wife, I don't want to spend my time behind a saw doing this. I want it to show up in boxes. I'll do the assembly, then I'll do what I like to do: laying tracks, scenery, yada yada. Yep. Yeah, I enjoy scenery. I'm Cheater. Not a Cheater. fan of laying track, huh? I said, cheater. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Unreasonable. You know, you know, there's nothing wrong with ready-made benchwork, but it just gives us a, an avenue to make fun of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah. on, you know, on, on I bought. On the flip side, you know, they say, yeah. oh, you can make stuff out of uh, gator foam. And one of the great things about gator foam is you don't need power tools. You can cut it with uh, an, an exacto, not really an exacto, but you can cut it with a, uh, uh, what do you call one of those knives? A box cutter? Nah, not a box cutter. Um, why I can't think? Utility knife. You can cut yeah. it with a utility knife. Box well, cutter I- by any other name. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, and I, I was like, okay, I tried that, and I can't cut a straight line to save my life. So I used to, I used the table saw <laughs> on, on gator phone. <laughs> on gator phone, oh yeah, oh, it's really quick, zip zip. Oh yeah, and, and everything, everything is the same size. I just cut yeah. it like one by fourth. You know, I just cut it at four inches. It's all done. It's like, it's like, well, why'd you use the table? Because I can't cut a straight line to save my life. Hey, you and half the world. I know I can identify with that. I learned early on that beaded styrofoam you get out of packing boxes and stuff is just more mess than it's worth unless you're you know got a hot knife or something like that. So the uh pink extruder, the dense foam, that's pretty good. It doesn't make too much of a a mess. But the stuff that is just incredible is uh, florist foam, the green florist foam. Oh, oh yeah. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so easy to carve. Oh, it's just, you know, I go to Michael's, and I'll just buy five packs of this stuff, bring it home, and it just cuts with a uh, hacksaw blade. Minimal mess. Yeah, I actually use that uh, on the other hobby I have, which is uh, my Halloween decorations. Got this massive Halloween display. Oh, okay. And uh, I do a Ghostbusters car every year. <laughs> and, um, you know, getting some of the components of their little roof rack. Yeah. These certain shapes, I couldn't find certain items. So I found that stuff and kind of plastered over it and to shape, make the shape of some of those items. Um, oh. And later we did it. Uh, we, we've moved some things around and carved it out in wood and stuff like that, but part of the requirements is to have it really lightweight so I can in, I can lift it up myself up to the roof of the sure. of my SUV. Well, I learned about it from a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Guy's doing a mountain range with it and he's illustrating how easy it is to carve and it's certainly cost effective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Spending my time making uh, super trees from Scenic Express. Yep. Yeah, those are nice trees. I, I need to get around to trying those. Well, they come, the way they pack them in a box, whatever this real organic stuff is, they all have curves to them. And so Fugate has a video on their website that he lets them soak in a water, oh, shoot, hodge like hodgepodge water mixture, and then he weights them down to stretch them out. So I tried that, and as soon as I took all the weights off, the tree just goes right back to its curved shape. So I sent an email to Scenic Express, and I said, why don't you give us the option to buy straight trees? 
I know you're dense packing them. It's a part of your business model. I said, but I'd probably pay 25% more to get straight trees because they're really great. And she goes, oh, go, listen, go look at Dave uh, Freire's video on how to straighten them with a uh, soldering iron or a pencil soldering gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all of a sudden the light came on. But they make incredible trees. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've messed around with a few different tree companies and things, and it can be get pretty expensive. Uh, one of the ones I bought in Woodland Scenics was like a 35 or $40 tree by itself. Yeah, I've got a couple yeah. of those. They're not Woodland Scenics, but um, Scenic Express. And Yeah. Yeah, they're just, uh, you know, but the, the super trees are both cost-effective and really nice with just a little bit of detailing. Yeah. Uh. Trainmasters TV uh, last month had uh, a section, one of the segments was on making trees. And the guy just, you know, is an outside-of-the-box thinker. Mm-hmm. And he actually cuts up those flat, two-dimensional woodland scenic sprues. And he shows you how to bend them. But he also says, if you want to make your own Douglas, Douglas firs, your conifers, he said, Cut the limbs off, leave them flat, maybe just a little droop. He said, and you glue them inside there. He said, they make excellent uh, limbs for, you know, these evergreens. And he walks through a couple of them, and by the time you put the ground foam or the whatever you're going to put on them, I went, I would have never thought of taking a flat two-dimensional sprue and cutting it apart and making it into an incredible conifer tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, you have videos on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, the the videos are um, I don't know a great way to quickly learn, especially for visual people, which I'm a very visual person. Oh, me too. You're well with pages and pages of text on something, and I quickly oh. lose interest. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm asleep. Well, what else, guys? I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about, I can't. I think I've talked your guys' ears off about <laughs> you Yeah, God, my wife keeps walking by the door. She's wanting me to come down and fix dinner. <laughs> yeah, I think my stomach's growling a little bit, too. Yeah, I think but. it's been great. James, I mean, uh, I think we've, you know, illustrated a lot of what you do and how you do it. Yeah, I think your fans and your followers are going to like it. Yeah, and my goal is just to answer every question. You don't get political dodges from me. I, you know, I can't remember one of you guys said it was up to me whether I answered a question. I answer every question. You know, I don't normally throw individual people or companies under the bus in negative situations, like uh, the company that wanted to wanted me to take a video down. But I'll still tell you my thought process behind it. So. Hope you guys got everything you were looking for in answers and you don't have any questions that you feel that I didn't answer sufficiently. Hey, James, thank you very much. Oh, no problem. Thank you. It was good chatting with you, James. All right. Good talking to you. Hi, buddy. See ya. All right. Take care.